Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's workshop. And this is a workshop that is being done in collaboration with the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care. And the topic of today's program is metastatic triple negative breast cancer for caregivers coping with your loved one's cancer. And really, um, this is part two of living with triple negative breast cancer. This particular program really highlights um, the important role of caregivers um, for us in these programs. And today's program is made possible by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, Gilead, a grant from Genentech, and an independent educational grant from Merck and Company, Inc. And I really want to thank them for their support of this program today. Now, I also want to acknowledge that there are a lot of uh, people on the call today. We have over 257 participants on the call today. You come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, and suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have international participants from Canada, the Dominican Republic, Indi India, Kenya, Malaysia, Nigeria, the Philippines, Saudi Arabia, and the United Kingdom. So it's really a bit of a global call as well. And we are delighted to have all of you on the call today. It really is wonderful that you've spent, chosen to spend this next hour with us. And as a group, caregivers are so very important. And particularly at this time of year, there are particular challenges that caregivers face that you'll be hearing about. Now, I do want to acknowledge that, um, that Haley Dinneman, who is co-founder and executive director of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, was really instrumental in making this program possible. And we've had a whole series of programs on triple negative breast cancer um, and, also, and also supports a number of our initiatives, um, our, um, our call center, our so many things, our hope, all these things that they do support. So you'll be hearing more about that. She couldn't join us today, but I do want to acknowledge her pivotally important role um, she's basically always on every one of these programs that we, we do. Um, so, um, so she's here with us in spirit, and she really has supported this program enormously. Now, before I introduce our first speaker, I'm going to ask you all just a few questions. And the reason I want to ask you the questions is we'd like to get a sense of what you know before the program starts. And so for those of you who are live streaming the program, you will be able to see the questions, and you'll be able to rate the answers. So I'm going to start with the first question. On a scale of one to five, with one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. I understand the treatment of metastatic triple negative breast cancer in the context of COVID-19. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand the role of the caregiver in communicating with the healthcare team and in decision-making when caring for a loved one living with metastatic triple negative breast cancer. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating.
And the next question is, I understand the role of a caregiver in managing family and friends during holidays and special occasions in the context of COVID-19. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now we just have two questions left for those of you who are live streaming the program. I understand the role of the long distance caregiver. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then this will be the last question. I understand self-care tips to cope with the stress of caregiving for a loved one living with metastatic triple negative breast cancer. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. I very much want to thank all of you for participating in these questions with us. Um, it really helps us to understand what you know coming into the program. And also it will help us as we plan future programs on triple negative breast cancer for caregivers to, to have a sense of uh, how we're doing, so what, if we're meeting your needs or not. So it's now my great pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Alana Schlamm. And Dr. Schlamm is a medical oncologist, staff physician, Tufts Medical Center. Dr. Schlamm will be addressing overview of metastatic triple negative breast cancer in the context of COVID-19, the important role of the caregiver in decision-making and challenges in communicating with the healthcare team, the increasing role of telehealth and telemedicine appointments. It's now my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Schlamm. Thank you very much, Caroline, for the presentation. I'm really delighted to be here. Um, so today I wanted to go over initially about the overview of triple negative breast cancer, particularly in the, co in the context of COVID-19. As we know, uh, triple negative breast cancer is an aggressive form of breast cancer. And I think COVID-19 has imposed some additional challenges to our patients and their caregivers. Um, one of the things I've noticed, noticed the most in the clinic is that when cases are going up, patients are not allowed to come in with their caregivers, or when the patients get admitted to the hospitals, many times still they are not allowed to have any family members or caregivers around, which I think it's stressful for the patients because they are used to coming often with family members, and it's usually very frequently the same person that takes care of the patients and they help them in decision-making. Um, but I can see that this is also stressful for the caregivers because they are not seeing the doctors that they are used to see and they are really not involved as much in the decision making during the consultation. So I think that has been a significant change that I could sense from the caregivers, especially now that we're allowing some back in the clinic. Um, I think there's a few things that we can do to try to improve that. In from our side, I think having um, the patients call. Many times I have my patients call and put the, the caregivers or the family members on speakerphone so they can listen to the conversation and ask questions that many times we know that extra ears are very important. So even if they cannot be there in person, trying to include them in the calls has been very helpful. And of course, telemedicine has been another very useful tool for this. Um, it decreases the chance for patients to be exposed to COVID and their caregivers, and it allows them, allows them to be together um, and many times in the same place, and we can talk together about um, the treatment options and the toxicities of treatment. Um, so I think we've had some 
additional challenges with COVID, but we've we've found ways in the last couple of years to make it better. And the caregivers play a huge role in patient care. You are the one seeing the patients every day and really seeing how they are doing. So you you many times tell us a lot of the information that we need to know to make treatment decisions. So it's not only important for the patients that you are there, but for us, it's very, very important as well. And I wanted to say that when we first um, faced COVID a couple of years ago, we were concerned about clinical trials and what was going to happen with all the studies we had going. Um, but I'm happy to say that we've been able to continue to do research. We've been able to open many studies across the country and across the world. And even since COVID started, we've had two drugs approved for metastatic triple negative breast cancer. We had Sacituzumab, uh, Govitikan, in April of 2020. Um, that is a medication like a smart bomb that it's an antibody with chemotherapy, and it's the first drug in that class to be approved for triple negative disease. And pembrolizumab is immunotherapy, and that was approved in November of 2020 in combination with chemotherapy for metastatic triple negative breast cancer. So we're really seeing a lot of improvements in treatment and treatment options for our patients. We basically had only chemotherapy options, and now even after COVID, we've seen um, some other medications approved that I think it's very important for our patients because it improves their outcomes, but also the side effects are often different and for some often better tolerated, which for the caregivers is also very important. So I think there are some good things that have come from COVID. And I think some areas that we can improve is continue to make sure that we involve the caregivers in decision making, especially when they are not physically in clinic. And I think sometimes it's us remembering and sometimes a reminder from the patient of calling someone, someone to hear options and scan results and and having that availability, I think it's important for for us and being able to accommodate for that should be um one in our top of our priorities because it's we want you all to be part of the treatment stream as you are, even if you cannot be there in person. Um and the way you communicate with us, that also I think has changed over the past couple of years because you are not many times in the room. So writing down questions for us and giving them to the patient, it's maybe an option if you cannot go in person um, or if you are not available to be um, there for a call during the visit. So writing questions down and perhaps talking to someone from the care team if there are questions after the visit. Um, but I think those are all ways that we can improve the communication in these difficult times for communication in many ways. And I think that overall we've gotten better. I mean, it's been almost two years, and I see that now we almost have a system of how to do it and how to make sure that the caregivers are included in the decision-making because you are so important. You're a very important piece of the treatment team. And we could not really treat our patients without the support you provide them. So I think we are all very aware and we are grateful that you take care of our patients because you're you're really, really important. And I think asking questions to the providers um, that many times you ask that the patients feel overwhelmed and they don't think about it. So having extra people that are involved in their care uh, really changes their 
in the way they're, the treatment they are receiving and the way they feel about it and also their outcomes. And I just wanted to close with, again, a reminder of all the improvement we've made and whether we continue to work in trying to find better treatments and that COVID didn't really stop us. And I think it really, in a way, made us, gave us new tools like telemedicine and it allowed us to now run clinical trials in a different way because we're learning that we could do this quicker. So I think we will continue to see new therapies uh, for our patients that hopefully we will continue to improve their outcomes in the future. And I leave a few, a couple of minutes to, for questions, but we will come back for questions at the end. So thank you again for inviting me. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Sam. That was really outstanding and just a wonderful um, context for today's program today and, and also just identifying um, in spite of the pandemic, how far, um, how much research has been done and how much, how many improvements have occurred. So thank you so much. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. So thank you. Thank you very much. And our next speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is former founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuum Cancer Centers of New York, author, researcher in oncology. And um, Dr. Fleischman will be addressing what research tells us about caregivers, guidelines for social distancing while caregiving, tips to prepare for telehealth telemedicine appointments, including technology, list of questions, follow-up appointments, and discussion of open notes. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Hello, everybody, and hello, Dr. Bessler. Thank you, everybody, for joining into this program. Um, the idea that we are doing some care from afar is something new to all of us, providers, patients, family members, and friends. So uh, we're all learning as we go along. But as has been said already, we now have significant experience in um, both in-person as well as uh, distance care. And uh, I will pass some of the information on to you today. There's been some research in looking at how people view their illness um, and if it's different between professional staff, uh, personal caregivers, and patients themselves. And um, each group has their own bias. Uh, patients probably are the most objective in how they're doing, if they're suffering much, um, if they're burdened by symptoms that they have to, or if they have some sort of uh, distress, either uh, social or, or psychological in origin. And it is pretty much well accepted that uh, family members and friends who know the individual, love the individual, often find, uh, often they rate the distress as much higher than the patient does. And the providers at the cancer center or other providers that the patient knows underestimate how much distress the patient has. Um, it's a, a pretty well-established pattern, and it's just something to keep in mind. Uh, we're recording this in November of 2021, and uh, because the pandemic is changing as time goes by and because the rules are changing um, and vary in different parts of the United States and even in um, different countries, it's hard to um, make a, a broad statement about social distancing and care. 
but what we do know continues from the care we gave and the advice we gave even before the pandemic started, which is hand washing is essential, absolutely essential uh, with uh, good antibacterial soap does not protect against viruses, but is still good in general during caregiving. Uh, with the pandemic, we've learned that um, not, not being exposed to each other's droplets is a good idea to reduce the spread of any um, infectious disease in our, in our breath. And uh, by doing that, we can either distance a certain number of feet or meters away from the individual as well as where some barrier, uh, facial covering or a mask. Um, there are many varieties of facial coverings. Some are better than others. Um, using a, a professional mask um, used to be hard to recommend because they were in such short supply in the retail market, but now there are uh, surgical type masks are available all over. So uh, the whole idea is, is to keep clean and to not spread either viruses or bacteria or fungi or anything else from, from one person to another. Um, because of the pandemic, as uh, has been said already, we are um, doing some of our uh, visits uh, remotely. And these can be by regular telephone or by um, a screen and an audio connection. Often, that, often that's called telehealth, but telehealth involves a telephone also. Uh, this is new for us, and we are um, uh, trying to do the best we can to provide follow-up care without having to travel to the cancer centers where at all possible to avoid unnecessary exposure to uh, the coronavirus. So if you find that you're going to be having either an initial consult or a follow-up visit on telehealth, it's important to uh, do a number of things in advance. Just like going to a regular in-person visit, preparation helps, and preparation helps for a telehealth visit too a day or two days before, be in contact with the provider's office to find out exactly what's going to happen. If you'll be called by telephone, if you have to call in uh, to a certain number and at exactly at what time. If it's a video and audio visit, find out exactly how that will work. Um, is it embedded in the, um, in the software that the hospital provides in their platform or their patient portal? Or is it something separate? Do, does the provider's office need to send you a, a certain sign-on information, either a telephone number or an internet address? Uh, all these things you need to know in advance. And um, it probably is a good idea if it's your first visit just to do a quick dry run, um, just to see that you can connect and there'll be uh, no electronic glitch on the day and time of the appointment. In addition, there may be a lot of personal history. If it's a um, consult visit and trying to get all that information together is often a good idea. Whether it's in person or on a telehealth visit, sometimes it's very hard to think about who in the family had cancer, what organ was involved, what type of cancer it was, and having that information um, gathered as much as possible, which often uh, means you have to contact relatives to get some details, um, is a good idea. A list of medications is important, a list of questions that you have, uh, a list of all your doctor's names and telephone numbers would also be uh, good information to have available at first. 
so uh, you are prepared. One of the uh, many advantages, one of, of the many disadvantages that we have uh, had to put up with through the pandemic, what we have uh, is an advantage here uh, because a family, trusted family member or a friend or who you'd like to include in the visit, either as a scribe as a, to take notes uh, or to help uh, prompt you for questions, doesn't necessarily need to be in the same room. <laughs> they don't even have to be in the same city. They can be anywhere in the world with a, an internet connection. And they can both listen and take notes as well as help you uh, remind you about the questions that you have, or if you, they have your permission, ask the questions that, um, that you have left out. So this has been um, a, a major advantage with all of the disadvantages of um, coronavirus epidemic. Um, the, obviously, uh, parts of the physical exam are just not able to be done under a telehealth visit, but uh, between you and the provider, there may be uh, alternate arrangements to have to actually go in for an in-person follow-up visit. It really depends upon the situation. But having the questions, um, knowing how to sign on, having a nice quiet place uh, to have the call are all very important. The other issue uh, that's really important to discuss is the idea of a concept called open notes. In a system of open notes, you often have access to the uh, progress notes and the reports from the pathologist, reports from the radiologist about imaging studies and um, blood and urine reports. In some systems, you have access to that as soon as it is posted for the provider. In other systems, the provider reviews it first, and only after they review it can you actually go on into the hospital's information system through a patient portal just to see your records you can't see anyone else's and review these uh, records. That's ideal to have them pre-reviewed by your providers to help give them context. But if by chance you are able to see a report or able to read chart notes that seem puzzling, it's really important to keep a lot of these details in mind. Chart notes are often written in a language that we um, unofficially call MedSpeak, and there are often um, phrases or abbreviations that are foreign to you. Um, instead of trying to figure out what they are or maybe mistake them for something else, it is a good idea to go over them with your provider if indeed you see the notes before you have a chance to have a conversation with them, either on the phone or on a video call. Also, when it comes to lab reports from blood, urine, biopsy reports, or imaging reports, please make sure to review those with the provider who can put them in context. Sometimes something is supposed to be there. Sometimes a um, a, a blood or urine uh, result is supposed to be abnormal based upon your situation. Or sometimes it's one or two points over the normal, and that's perfectly fine. Um, even though the, the uh, lab report system just lists normal or abnormal um, and does not actually uh, help put that in context. So it's really, really important to have um, a sense of context and review with a provider who knows your situation. 
Um, the, this is an on, ongoing, changing scene, but uh, that's the best information we have for now. And now I'll pass you back to Dr. Messner. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. That was really outstanding and really very helpful to people to understand um, really uh, more about um, really uh, whole, the whole interaction with the healthcare team and um, and the use of telemedicine, telehealth. So I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you so much. And our next um, our next speaker is uh, Ms. Sharon Flynn, and Ms. Flynn is an oncology nurse. She's a nurse practitioner, nursing research and translational science, clinical center nursing department, National Institutes of Health, clinical research center. And Ms. Flynn will be addressing the challenges and rewards of caregiving, coping with each day on holidays, special occasions, and birthdays, and managing family and friends in the context of COVID-19. It's really my uh, great privilege to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Flynn. Great. Thank you, Dr. Baxter, for the invitation to be on today's panel. I would like to warmly welcome all of our caregivers and our breast cancer survivors for being on today's call. And thank you for taking time out of your busy day to learn more about the role of the caregiver. And so first I'm gonna start with the challenges and rewards of caregiving. And as we know, no two human beings are alike. Um, no two caregiving experiences are the same. And so some of the challenges that have been reported by caregivers include having less time for yourself, or to spend with other family members, possibly being hesitant or afraid to ask for help, emotional and physical stress, some report depression and isolation. And so we're gonna talk about some strategies to help overcome some of these. Um, but in a 2014 study, a survey by the National Opinion Research Center, they, they found that 83% of caregivers view caregiving as a positive experience. And so they cited some of these as the rewards of being a caregiver. And they included giving back to someone who has cared for them, having the satisfaction of knowing that their loved one is receiving excellent care under your hands. Um, it has provided increased meaning and purpose to their lives. And some caregivers feel that they're passing on a tradition of caring by modeling caregiving to their children. So we're next gonna move into coping each day, including holidays, special occasions, and birthdays. And so holidays, birthdays, and special occasions, um, they're usually a time that we all gather together to celebrate a milestone with family and friends. Sometimes we've gone to someone's home for a large gathering or out to a restaurant. It's usually an exchange of hugs and well wishes. Um, but darn it, COVID got in the way of some of that and may have prevented us for the past year or two from getting together. But it doesn't mean that we should just skip the celebration because of a cancer diagnosis or because of COVID. Acknowledging a milestone in someone's life is very important. And so I have a couple tips on how you can celebrate um, in the best way possible. So first, there's no right way to celebrate. Talk to your loved one with cancer as to how they would like to celebrate that special occasion. Maybe it's an in-person event or a video call. Um, maybe with 10 people, it might be perfect for you as a caregiver 
but it's a little bit overwhelming for your loved one who may just want to be on that call for five minutes or maybe limit it to less than um, five people. So talk to them um, about how they're feeling and then think of creative ways together to modify that celebration or holiday to incorporate everyone. Focus on what is important to you and your loved one and how the, to incorporate the love and support of your family and friends into that celebration. We talked about respecting your loved one's decision. Um, and just as a reminder that their experience is unique to them, just as your caregiving experience is unique to you. Um, and so without their input, there might be too many phone calls or activities that could seem overwhelming. So just taking the time with the two of you to, to talk about what that experience is and focusing on what is important and who is important to be incorporated into that celebration so that you can create lasting memories filled with love, compassion, and respect. And so as we're talking about um, celebrations, Families and friends often don't know what pressures you have in your typical day as a caregiver. Help them to understand what pressures you're under by telling them what your, what your day is like. Um, it can be hard to ask, for, ask and receive help, but it's important to remember that others are so grateful for the opportunity to do something for you and to make it easier um, for them if you're clear about what your needs are. Um, you can use technology to communicate, either emails, texts, social media sites. Um, if you're feeling guilty about receiving help, remember that you can always give back later to others when things are more stable in your life. I know that when I faced a serious health crisis two years ago, I found it incredibly helpful to have someone um, who was a spokesperson to communicate updates to families and um, to family and friends. For me, my spokesperson was my dear friend and not my caregiver. Um, my husband was my caregiver and was just overwhelmed by the situation and was happy to turn this component over to our dear friend. And I am forever grateful for her for taking on this role in my time of need. Don't be afraid to ask your healthcare provider about specific medical concerns that might impact your ability to celebrate. Your medical team can suggest ways your loved one can more fully participate in the celebration, whether they're at home or if they're in the hospital. If you have certain holiday traditions that might involve fasting or eating meals at designated times, be sure to let your healthcare provider know this um, ahead of time. It might not be safe for you to fast while you're receiving treatment for your breast cancer. If this um, it is also true if you have a chronic condition such as diabetes or high blood pressure. So please check with your healthcare provider um, before fasting. They are more than happy to work with you so that you can fully participate um, in your holiday traditions, but in a manner that is safe for you. And finally, staying positive and finding inspiration. Being a cancer fighter, a cancer survivor, and a caregiver, these are all really, really tough jobs. And staying positive can make a big difference in coping. 
Give yourself pep talks throughout the day. Um, and a pep talk doesn't have to be sitting down and um, reciting something. You can have a picture that reminds you of a special moment or time in your life. It can be a favorite song or a, a favorite playlist of songs that inspire you. It can be quotes. Um, it can be um, a favorite part of your yard or of your house that inspires you. Um, Find something that can inspire you and turn to that resource when you're feeling tired, you're feeling overwhelmed. For some people, it's picking up the phone and calling that best friend or that family member um, just as a check-in and saying, hey, I'm, I'm exhausted today. Can, can you give me a little bit of a pep talk? Tell me a funny story. Remind me of a, of a time when um, we went on an adventure. Um, sometimes all you need is a simple, you can do this, because I know that you can. And so wrapping up, we're going to talk about managing family and friends in the context of COVID-19. And so if family and friends are coming over to your house, before they come over, you want to either talk to them on the phone or email them, text them, to let them know if anybody's feeling sick. So if someone has a cold, they're sneezing, um, they have a fever, um, they're coughing, anybody who might be sick, you want to tell them to come back at another time, that it's not safe at this time to come to visit your loved one with breast cancer. And so when they come in your house, um, you know, just do a double check that, they, that they're feeling well, haven't um, been sick for the past couple days, and have them come in, wash their hands, help little children um, who might need um, some help with hand washing, and um, enjoy that activity. And so I'm going to wrap up now in conclusion by telling all of our caregivers and our breast cancer survivors on this call that you are not alone. There are networks like Cancer Care and the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation to support both of you through this journey. Today's phone conference is just one of those many resources available to you. Remember, you can do this. So thank you so much for being on today's important call. I wish you all the very best. And Dr. Messner, I'll turn the program back over to you. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much, Ms. Lynn. That was really wonderful. Just a wonderful presentation with lots of really helpful tips to everybody on the call. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you. And our next speaker is Ms. Lauren Chatelian. And Ms. Chatelian is an oncology social worker at Cancer Care, and she's our Women and Children's Program Manager, Cancer Care. And Ms. Chatelian will be addressing the long-distance caregivers, um, self-care and stress management tips for coping with the stress of caregiving, the free programs and services of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, and she'll give you information about the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation helpline website and how to email them as well. So it's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Chatelian. Thank you, Dr. Mesner, and thank you to everyone on this call. My role at Cancer Care includes providing supportive services to individuals and families impacted by a triple negative breast cancer diagnosis. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care have partnered together to ensure that those affected by TNBC have access to free psychosocial services and support. All programs through the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation are designed to meet the needs of the TNBC community. 
All offerings through the foundation can be found at tmbcfoundation.org. In addition to teleconferences such as today's program, offerings include educational brochures and fact sheets two free clinical trial matching services, one specifically for metastatic disease, a constantly updated TMBC news section and information about TMBC, as well as online discussion forums. Members may utilize the online discussion forums to ask questions related to treatment experiences, managing side effects, and the overall impact of a TMBC diagnosis. These forums offer consistent support to the TMBC community and can be joined anonymously. Due to the ongoing pandemic, events have been adjusted to be held virtually. These events can be found on the TMBC Foundation website. You can also find more information about the Foundation on social media such as Facebook. The TMBC community can connect through official Facebook support groups. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation Helpline, which is generously funded by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, provides callers with access to comprehensive services. These comprehensive services include case management, counseling and support groups, educational workshops, public use such as our Mindful Moments for Caregivers Coping Circle. By calling the TMBC Helpline, individuals are connected with an oncology social worker aware of the physical, emotional, and practical challenges that may arise when a loved one is diagnosed with TMBC. Whether caring independently with others or from far away, you can be considered a caregiver. Caregivers have their own unique set of needs, and although you may not be the person diagnosed, you are living with the disease every day. Caregivers may be tasked with managing and administering treatment, helping their loved one cope with emotional concerns, and taking on practical responsibilities. Caregivers who are not local to their loved one can provide significant emotional support, a listening ear, and social support for their loved ones by phone, text, email, and by video or virtually. You can also help your loved ones to enlist additional support. You can arrange for other friends and family to drop off meals or coordinate transportation. You could also learn about local support groups or workshops that they can attend, possibly virtually at this time. Persons diagnosed may often rely on their caregivers to take on some of this legwork when they don't have the energy, and these tasks usually take a phone call or email, so they may be well-suited for caregivers who aren't nearby. Websites and phone applications may be useful as well. These include My Cancer Circle, Caring Bridge, and MyLifeline.org. A cancer diagnosis raises many practical concerns and challenges. There are appointments to track and bills to pay, as well as paperwork to manage. As a caregiver, it likely falls on you to manage many of these tasks. In addition to keeping up with your usual responsibilities and filling in for some of the roles that used to be handled by your loved one. Understanding your loved one's insurance policy, benefits, and even financial options is important during this time. There are professionals at the treatment center who may be able to navigate some of these concerns, such as a financial counselor, social worker, or patient navigator. Also, Cancer Care's case management services are offered nationally to patients, post-treatment survivors, and caregivers affected by cancer. We offer a short-term, strengths-based approach to case management, where the case manager will work with the client in connecting them to resources, referrals, and financial assistance. 
Navigating a metastatic triple negative breast cancer diagnosis can be stressful and emotionally difficult for caregivers. It is important to make sure that you care for yourself. Having a community of support can help caregivers maintain their physical and emotional well-being, which in turn makes them better able to care for their loved one. Caregivers may choose to supplement their existing social networks by joining a support group or engaging in counseling. Many hospitals, treatment centers, and nonprofit organizations offer support services. Joining a support group can be a way of connecting with others going through a similar experience. Cancer Care and the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation offer a specific Triple Negative Breast Cancer Caregiver National Online Support Group. This online support group aims to reduce feelings of loneliness and anxiety and also determine ways to continue to care for yourself as well as your loved ones. The online support group takes place using a password-protected message board format and are led by professional oncology social workers who offer support and guidance. In addition to individualized and group support, self-care and relaxation practices may be helpful during this challenging time. Self-care is defined as the practice of taking an active role in protecting one's own well-being, particularly during periods of stress. Relaxation techniques could be done as a family or with your loved one. Taking a deep breath together for a quick reset or spending a few minutes reading once your loved one falls asleep or trying to get some rest yourself. Sitting next to one another, doing word puzzle books during treatment, or finding a game that you both enjoy, this could be your self-care. Self-care does not need to be away from your loved one, but it is okay if you do need some time to yourself as well. Additional practices that may help to relieve feelings of stress include journaling, yoga, meditation, mindfulness, listening to music, or connecting with nature by going on a hike or a walk. I do want to note that everyone's experience is unique and what works for each person or family may be different. But I do hope this information will be a helpful reminder as you move forward. If you are interested in learning more about the support services the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care offer, I encourage you to call the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Helpline. You can reach us at 877-880-8622 as well as the TMBC Foundation website at tmbcfoundation.org and by email. We are here to offer you support and look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for your attention and the opportunity to speak today. I will now turn our program back to Dr. Mesner. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Chetelian. That was really outstanding and just a wonderful presentation. And um, I know that the questions for you during the Q&A as well. Now, before we move on to the Q&A, I do want to ask all of you who are live streaming the call um, some additional questions. Um, There's just five of them. It'll take about two minutes, and then we'll move on to the Q&A. So have your questions ready uh, so you can submit them. Um, And the first question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the treatment of metastatic triple negative breast cancer in the context of COVID-19. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question, and these questions are particularly uh, useful to people who are live streaming the call who will be able to read the questions and, and also rate the questions as well. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge 
of the role of the caregiver in communicating with the healthcare team and in decision-making when caring for a loved one living with metastatic triple negative breast cancer. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater knowledge, greater confidence in my knowledge of the role of the caregiver in managing family and friends during holidays and special occasions in the context of COVID-19. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now just two more questions. Um, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the role of the long-distance caregiver. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then this will be the last question. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how to utilize self-care and stress management tips to cope with the stress of caregiving for a loved one living with metastatic triple negative breast cancer. One is the highest rating and five lowest rating. So I wanna thank all of you for participating in these questions. Um, it'll help us as we move forward in planning future programs to get a sense of what you knew coming into the program and now what you've learned and how we can tailor the programs to make them even more helpful to you. And now we have time for questions. So we're going to ask, I'm going to ask um, Michelle to bring all of our speakers on board. And Michelle will explain to you how to queue up for questions. And I'm going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Michelle. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star then one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. And there's a question, um, this one will be for Ms. Chatelian. My sister was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer and I want to help her. Where can I find resources to be informed on triple negative breast cancer? Sure. So there are resources on both of our websites, so tmbcfoundation.org as well as cancercare.org. Um, there's some reading material for practical, you know, help as well as, you know, if that may be financial assistance or local referrals. Um, I would also suggest if if you know if the person would like to call the helpline, um, one of our social workers could gather a little bit more information and determine some local resources that could be useful to her sister as well. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and a question for Dr. Schlamm. I was the caregiver of my mother, and now I am a caregiver of my sister. I have been very anxious and worried that I will eventually have breast cancer. Do you have any resources that can help? Dr. Schlamm, if you could address this in a general way in terms of um, screening and what um, with a family history, what might be some helpful things for um, uh, this caregiver to do? Mm, of course. Um, so if you have multiple family members with breast cancer, uh, you will 
you can talk to their oncologist to see if they qualify for uh, genetic testing. And I think that can guide if they have a positive genetic test. Usually we test the siblings and children and parents, depending on the age and gender and all of those things. Um, I think in general, if there is no known mutation, I will continue my standard screening. I usually start mammograms at age 40. Um, and you can talk to your primary care provider. Uh, it depends where you are located, uh, but in many centers they have a high-risk clinic uh, for high people at higher risk for breast cancer that have never been diagnosed. And we usually, I mean, I see the pa those patients here in the oncology clinic. Every center does it a little bit different, but we have scoring systems and guidelines of even without a genetic test that is positive who needs additional screening. So I think you can talk to either your sister oncologist or your primary care doctor to see what is the best way for you to go to one of those appointments and see if you need any additional screening. Does that answer your question? I think that's, that's excellent, very, a very um, excellent. And, and I guess if you want to comment on just once you get into a system of being screened, how that might help to settle down any concerns because you'd have a consistent doctor that you could ask questions of. Yes, yeah, so if, I mean, in general, for patients that were fine, that are fine to, high, to be at higher risk, again, doesn't have to be with a BRCA mutation, just with family history sometimes um, the risk is higher and the indication will be to do um, a mammogram once a year and a breast MRI once a year. You, we usually stagger them, so those patients usually get imaging every six months. Um, the MRI at times, you know, it's very sensitive, so we can see everything. So there are some downsides of also doing too much screening. That's why we're very careful of who we um, recommend that for, because we many times end up doing some extra biopsies that many times we don't need. So um, I would not. I, I will just get additional screening if I will qualify for for that based on the current guidelines from NCCN um, to make sure we don't end up increasing stress and increasing additional need for um, unnecessary tests. Excellent, excellent point. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and. Um, Dr. Fleischman, can you speak about the role of the uh, um, National Cancer Institute um, um, Comprehensive Cancer Centers in terms of, um, and the NCCN as well, in terms of setting guidelines for people that um, are very helpful in terms of being sure that that's being followed in terms of screening and things like that? Sure. There are a variety of places where um, uh, guidelines are produced uh, these days. Uh, for cancer prevention is the U.S. Uh, Preventive Task Force. The National Cancer Institute also um, has a voice, as well as the American Cancer Society. And uh, the all-cancer hospitals, uh, the ones that have large cancer research programs, ha have gotten together with some of the other larger cancer hospitals um, under uh, the National Comprehensive Cancer Network. And they actually put out guidelines that are reviewed uh, once a year by experts. They're available online in a patient-friendly form so that you don't need to be trained 
to understand these guidelines. And those are the kinds of things that um, many of the uh, treatment systems in the, in the country actually um, follow. If uh, there are about 1,500 accredited cancer centers by the American College of Surgeons Commission on Cancer, and they uh, will follow these guidelines and audit themselves to see if they're actually, the treatment that they have is consistent with the guidelines. Uh, that happens less so in um, a private office, and there are advantages and disadvantages to being treated at a larger center or in a private setting. And some private centers are associated with the larger cancer network. So it's, it's a bit complicated, but there are a number of places that actually where we, we can um, agree on what the best guidelines are at the moment, and they will change over time as we learn more and more about breast cancer. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. And a question um, for uh, Ms. Chetelian. Um Because triple negative breast cancer is more likely in younger people, do you have any tips for children and young adults that are caregivers of their mother or father? Sure. So uh, we do have um, a great young adult program through Cancer Care as well as our Cancer Care for Kids. Um, for children impacted by a diagnosis. Um, in regards being caregivers and, you know, maybe having a, a parent diagnosed with CMBC, um, continuing to really see what would be most helpful for them if there are certain tasks that would be useful, but also maintaining that routine and, you know, what, what is most comfortable to you as well. Open communication can be extremely helpful um, and, you know, and maybe connecting with others who are in a similar situation too. Um, and we have a lot of uh, wonderful offerings through Cancer Care for, to connect with others. Excellent. Thank you. And a question from Ms. Flynn. How can I balance being a balance both school and being my mother's caregiver? Oh, that's a great you question. Sure. Um, you're leading a really busy life trying to manage school and then the care of your mom. And so this is where I want to encourage you to tap into other resources. So there might be other family members that could help out. Um, there are a lot of um, local resources through um, the hospital that your mom is getting treatment through. If she was involved um, or is involved with any community activities, um, and that way you can go to school, focus on school, and while you're there, have someone who is helping your mom out as she needs assistance. And so um, I know Cancer Care has a list of resources, so you could um, talk to a social worker, see what resources are available in your local area. Um, if um, there aren't a lot of uh, friends and family living locally, um, we talked about today on this program for long-distance caregivers, some things that they could do, um, which would be a great support if while you're at school, they called your mom. If she was at home, to check up on her, you know, twice a day while you're um, all day at school to make sure that she's doing okay, taking her medications, feeling well. Um, so there are a lot of resources out there. Um, 
And the best place is to just kind of ask your mom, okay, um, are there neighbors maybe that could check up on her while you are at school? And just kind of rotate through those resources so that you're going to school and your mom's being taken care of. Excellent. Thank you. And, Ms. Chelling, do you want to add anything to that as well? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree um, with everything that was mentioned, and I think this even goes into, you know, earlier, too, that um, that it, it can be really difficult to manage all everything that's going on, um, but really focusing on, you know, what's, what's helpful for you, what's helpful, you know, for your loved ones. And it can be difficult to ask for help knowing that there is help available and some wonderful resources, as Ms. Flynn mentioned. Awesome. Thank you. And um, and this one is for Dr. Schlamm. Um, this is coming from a dietitian. As a dietitian, we work with patients on managing side effects of treatment. Um, at times, we discuss how weight gain is a common occurrence related to treatment. How do you recommend um, discussing this with patients? And Dr. Shalom, if you could address this perhaps in a general way just to um, discuss, I suppose, both weight gain and weight loss, but I guess the question here is about weight gain, but probably both would be yeah. helpful. So that's a great question. Actually, we see much more often weight gain than weight loss during chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, we have many times patients asking about specific diets. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have any specific diet that helps really with symptom management or to prevent any recurrences. Uh, what I usually recommend during treatment is like smaller, frequent meals. Um, for some patients, protein shakes and things like that are helpful to keep um, a good protein, like intake of healthier calories. Um, I think it's great that you're providing director for the patients. Um, we do have a dietitian here, but I think they provide mostly general recommendations. And we know that obesity is a kind of risk factor for breast cancer recurrences. So um, maybe not that much in the metastatic triple negative cancer group, but in general, we try to keep our patients in a healthy weight. Um, so yeah, small frequent meals, um, during chemo, many times they just need to kind of eat what they feel like eating, making sure that it's balanced. Uh, but we don't have any, unfortunately, specific recommendations for diet. And can you comment on what causes the weight gain so people can understand that a little bit better? Well, I think part of it is really not moving around that much during chemo because patients feel tired. Another part is that we have many people bringing them food to home and maybe they're doing less. So it's, I think it's a combination of things. Many patients are receiving steroids as well with the chemotherapy, which doesn't help with the weight gain, but we need that to prevent reactions or to help with nausea. So I would not worry if the patient go up for like three or four pounds, but if it's something more significant, um, it can affect them in the future. So, it's something we keep an eye on, and we really just look at that during treatment, and if there is a significant change, try to assess why. Excellent. Well, I want to thank all of our speakers. You've really been phenomenal. This has been an amazing um, uh, 
Q&A. I must say we've done this program a number of times, but the numbers of questions, um, now we have many more we could stay on for another hour at least, but I, we had said this would be an hour program, so I want to try to stay to that time frame. Um, but I want to thank our speakers. I also want to thank our participants for asking really such very thoughtful questions, really, um, um, and um, and I and also bringing out the whole multidisciplinary team here that we have today, which has really been uh, remarkable as well. So um, I want to thank our speakers, and I want to actually say something about the questions that you've been able to ask. For those of you who asked a question, for those of you who have a question that you didn't get to ask, and for those of you who are thinking of a question you'd like to ask someone, all of you, I'd like you to go back to your treating healthcare team with the information you received today and ask your healthcare team the question um, or questions that you may have. Um, and see, because they have access to your entire medical record. Remember, we don't have access to all that information, so we're giving you some general guidelines here. But they are in no way uh, individualized to who you exactly are, what else is going on for you. So that would be a very one thing that's really important to do. Um, the other thing that um, I do recommend for all of you is that you do take advantage of the resources some of you already have of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. It's a wonderful resource. Um, it's specifically for um, people coping with triple negative breast cancer and their caregivers and loved ones, friends. I mean, it really is for everyone, and they have many different features that you can take advantage of. So at the end of today's program, you're going to be getting, or probably tomorrow, you'll be getting a survey monkey evaluation, which will ask you a couple of questions about the program itself. Um, but then also, we will include all the resources we mentioned during the program and all the links to those, and even some we may have not mentioned, but we think we're really important for you to have. But we still want to give you the resources for the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation as a place to call, really. It's, it's a really a go-to place. It specializes only in triple negative breast cancer, so that's, been, that's important as well. And they've been around a long time. Um, and I think we very much want to recommend that you pretty much stay with um, resources that either your healthcare team recommend or that we recommend on these programs. Um, you know, there is the American Cancer Society. There is, of course, the National Cancer Institute. Um, we'll give you that information as well. There are other resources, that, but they're very credible resources, which means that they have experts checking the information they provide on their website. It's not just someone's opinion. It's you know it's it's brought it's you know it's evidence-based information is what we call it, not someone's opinion or thoughts about something or someone's experience, but really what what actually is correct. And it also is uh, time. In other words, the um, the website should have a specific date that the information was posted, and it should be posted pretty recently because things are changing all the time. As you heard Dr. Schlamm say, there's been a lot of advances in the treatment. We don't want you reading something that's 10 years old or five years old. We want you to read something that's really current as of today. So that's really important as well. And as we conclude the program today, of course, we are approaching a holiday time of year, which has been discussed during the program. And even if it is not your holiday time, it still is this kind of sense of holiday during the countries that you may be living in. And so um, because there are many different participants in different parts of the world, um, one can often feel... Um, more challenged during this time of year, perhaps may feel even a bit more alone with the pandemic and holidays and everything together. Um, so I want you to know that you're now part of a community of support. And we really, I think, as our speakers have been saying, you're not alone. You have a healthcare team. You have all of these resources we provide you. And we're all just a telephone call or a mouse click away on uh, your computer to contact us either by phone 
or go to our websites and to get that information and support you need. So um, please recognize that there are people out there to help you and um, that take advantage of them. And um, with that being said, I want to wish you all a very fine day, and I want to thank you all for your participation on today's program. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.